Okay, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, um, verses 18 through 22. Mark chapter 2, 18 through 22. And in, uh, in opposite news, some of you already know this, um, but Sarah Beth and I are expecting um, our, our fourth child. Um, a, uh, thank you. Uh, a baby boy is due, I think, April 22nd, or it might be, I might have just read April 22, like the year 22. My fourth child, you're like, you know, bring him on whenever he gets here. Um, uh, it's, it's insanity, and it's insane in our house, but we're excited, so try to squeeze everybody in. All right, stand as we read God's Word. Mark chapter 2. Beginning at verse 18. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And they came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And and Jesus said to them, While the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come. When the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it the new from the old, and a worse tear results. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost in the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you hear our prayer in Jesus' name. We thank you for the gift of this moment and the gift of this Lord's Day, this time carved out for dedicated worship and attention to your word, worship to you and attention to your word. We ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would soften our hearts, that we pray that you would do a miracle Your word would be accompanied with the power of your spirit to accomplish your will. That it would be used to bring the spiritually dead to life. That it would be used to convict those who are bound in sin. That they might be freed in the gospel. That it would be an encouragement to those who are following you in their journey and the course of their lives. And the many other purposes and intentions that you have in these individuals, we pray that your word would accomplish your will today by your power. And so, Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So, Lord, would you speak to us? Father, please, would you speak? Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I think it's fitting the Sunday after Thanksgiving that fasting is a part of our conversation this morning. 
fasting and feasting. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I spent Thursday, uh, we had family over, and it's a long story, it was, it was one of those, anyways, I, I ended up smoking a turkey breast for most of the time until my smoker quit working, and we had to finish it in the oven, take up all of the space in the oven, and then I fried a 20-pound pterodactyl um, and emu, it felt like, and, uh, and I, sw- I really, really thought I was going to set my backyard on fire. But by God's grace, neither, uh, the, the, no one got sick, which is what I was worried about, and everything cooked, and it all tasted good, uh, but I was so full, and like painfully full, and then we had to leave the next morning to go to Sarah Beth's parents in Charleston to eat some more, and then we'll wake up and eat some more, and then we come back, and you know, the whole way back, I'm just thinking, is there enough coffee on the planet to get me home. Because uh, then we bumped, yesterday we bumped into, uh, you had Thanksgiving traffic, and then there was a, uh, a black hole of a game uh, that had a lot of people driving into uh, Columbia, at least from my perspective. Um, it was uh, not a memorable uh, Saturday night. So anyways, but feasting and fasting uh, is something that shows up, and it shows up in Jesus' life, and it shows up in the life of Israel. There were appointed feasts, and this might, might be curious to you, and I, and I think hopefully I can maybe shift the window pane of your attention, uh, that in, in the Torah, in the, the, the biblical law, there were all of these appointed feasts. There was the Feast of Weeks, and like a harvesting feast. There was a Feast of Booths that celebrated the people coming out of Egypt. They lived in what they called booths. They were sort of out exterior housing uh, that if you built a lean-to in your backyard, which I don't think many of you did, maybe your kids did, uh, that they would live in those for a stretch. And of course, there was the Feast of Passover that was recognizing God's deliverance again of the people from Egypt, that the, there was a powerful demonstration of his, his power over, powerful demonstration of power uh, over the, the Pharaoh of Egypt. And so there was appointed feasts, and they would get together, and they would feast. It was a festival. It was joy. Uh, there was appointed laws for how, how you were going to bring in the resources and appoint enough uh, animals for the, for the sacrifices, but also enough food and drink so that they could, they could feast well and celebrate well God's good grace to them. How many feasts, I mean, excuse me, how many fasts in the Old Testament law do you think were appointed? Like commanded, not, hey, you can fast if you want to. Uh, but there was a commanded fast. What? You know what it was? On the Day of Atonement, there was an appointed fast. So just proportionately, how you, you probably think of the biblical law as something stringent, heavy, oppressive, negative. But actually, God was very, he was very intentional about you guys need to have these feasts that you've received so much grace, even in the Old Testament, that the people of God had received so much goodness and so much grace from God that he said, you need to get together and you need to, you need to feast. You need to... Now, there, were, there, was, there was preparation going into those days. There was intentionality about going into those days. There was a, a soberness and awareness to the way that the people of God would feast. You don't think of it as some... 
some, you know, like uh, low country boil spread out on somebody's back porch, on the newspaper, on the table. Uh, that, I'm sure that they did that kind of stuff, just not with shrimp. Uh, but, there's a joke, okay. Uh, <clears throat> but that they would feast, and there was a disproportionate emphasis, is all I'm trying to say. A disproportionate emphasis upon the feasting rather than the fasting, simply by what's appointed. They were appointed to feast, and they were appointed one fast. There were feasts, plural, and there was one fast, singular. But by the time that we arrive at Mark chapter 2, there are this, this tradition of, of uh, sort of adding on to the law of God, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Pharisees were really experts at it, but they kind of built up this, this of how they were going to stringently apply all of these different ideas. And it it was almost like if you've ever been to a cavern, you know, under like Luray Caverns or Shenandoah Caverns or Mammoth Cave or somewhere, and you have um, stalactites that come down from the ceiling and stalagmites that come up from the the floor. It took me decades to figure out the difference. Uh, Anyways. So stalagmites, but it was, it's the calcium and the, and the minerals that are present in the water that, that caused the stalactites to grow as the water drips. And it caused the stalagmites to grow as the water lands. And the, there would be an accumulation of calcium or accumulation of whatever minerals might be present in the, in the water. And eventually they would grow up and form. And in some places they connect. And you have these formations that develop uh, underground. God's glory demonstrated in the heavens and the earth. Uh, and, and so it's like that growing up of the, the sort of this calcification that grows up in the traditionalism of first century, what eventually would be first century Judaism. And so by the time that these disciples of John, this is John the Baptist in verse 18, and the Pharisees, by the time they come to Jesus and his disciples, they're, they're expected to fast and it's, and it's commanded in this sort of calcified tradition that's grown up around the, the faith of Israel. It's expected that they're going to fast multiple times a week. So somehow, just notice the growth. Somehow they go from an, one appointed fast once a year to you're going to have to fast multiple times a week. And so they're, they're growing in their stringency and they're growing in the... And as they grow in their self-centered religious stringency, it grows more and more oppressive. It grows more and more oppressive. Because what developed was not a faith centered on the work of God and the grace of God, but it was a religion centered upon the work of men and women to save themselves. And so what we have in the Pharisees, who were super in their Bible knowledge, Old Testament Bible knowledge, and even the disciples of John, is that they've kind of imbibed this traditionalism. And what's happened is that they're beginning to see that they, they're not beginning to see, but they're, they're taking in this idea that they must save themselves. And they're coming to Jesus' disciples and saying, why don't you participate in the same plan to save yourselves as we are doing? Why aren't you trying to do the same things that we're doing? You add the layer, not only is this a a sort of a self-righteousness that's arising in these fasts, but that both the baptism of John, now John the Baptist 
by this time has already handed off the baton. He's already said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I must decrease. He must increase. Go follow that guy. And there's some who refuse to go follow that guy being Jesus. But it is a movement of renewal for the community. Pharisaism also was a movement of renewal. They believed that if they could get enough people to participate in their their plan and their their rules and their way of doing things, that if they could get enough people to do what they were doing, then there would be religious renewal, social renewal, national renewal. So you couple these ideas that these are two renewal movements, and then these are at the end of the day, what they develop being is self-righteous. Self-righteous attempts at self-salvation. Is that, so they became evangelistic in their self-righteousness because they believed if they could sell their... And they didn't understand it, right? There's a blindness here. But if they could sell these people on their self-righteousness, then the nation's going to get better. The Messiah's going to come. The Romans are going to get kicked out, etc., etc., etc. Their messianic hopes will be fulfilled by their renewal efforts. And so they're evangelistic. Why aren't you doing what we're doing? And we, we face similar things today. Why don't you do things the way that we do things? Even in the Christian church, why don't, why don't, you, why don't you do this when we do this? But what I want you to see is that the, the Pharisee, we always think of the Pharisees and we always want to say the Pharisees look like this. The Pharisees do show up today with a religious stringency where they add on to the commandments of the Lord Jesus and they add on to the word of God, to their expectations. And there, there can definitely be a, a restricting, stringent, oppressive traditionalism that can swallow up the faith and that can swallow up churches. And I think we, maybe you've experienced that sort of legalism showing up in certain ways where we're going to, we're going to save ourselves by religious observance. We're going to save ourselves by showing up at church and by giving our money and by doing these things. I'm going to save myself. Maybe some people have such a low bar that they, I'm going to save myself by showing up on Christmas and Easter only. Some people have sort of abandoned the church for that purpose. They're saying, I, I'm going to continue. They wouldn't articulate it like this. I'm going to save myself, but I'm going to go simply. I don't need the church to do it. I'm going to go be a good person. I'm going to feed the hungry and I'm going to give cold drink to the thirsty. I'm going to clothe those who need clothing. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to sort of imbibe a, a certain notion of renewal in my community. And then I'm going to tell people that they need to be on board with my version of renewal, of making our community a better place. Now, that could be a conservative vision of renewal, or that could be a liberal vision of renewal. You see where I'm going? But, but both sides believe that if you do what I'm doing and you believe what I'm believing, then we're going to make this place a better place. And both conservative, and it could be, you could say all sorts of, could be political conservatism or liberal conservative politics or liberal politics, but that we become evangelistic in our desires of seeing renewal. Or, and then, and then there's the, the sort of the accusatory question, why aren't you doing what we're doing? Why aren't you following our path? Or, and really, the, 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 
the cultural self-salvation gospel that was preached to us today is one of inclusivity. It's taken overboard. And diversity taken overboard. It's, it's one of, you know, you, that the, the individual is the seat of morals. The individual is the seat of, inter- of intention and of, and of identity. And so therefore, you can identify as whatever you want. And we should affirm people in whatever they want to affirm. And then, we, then Christians who say, no, God has made us male and female. He's made men and women to be married together. One man, one wife for life. That all of a sudden the culture comes to us and says, why aren't you doing what we're doing? You are bigots and you're hated, you're hating and you're and you're not living like Jesus. You're not take, you're not following our system of self-salvation and our system of cultural renewal. And so the modern day Pharisees can show up both in the church with a obvious religious legalism, but they can also show up in the culture with a liberal Phariseeism. Come do what we're doing. Otherwise, you're not actually following Jesus. Come do that which Jesus actually tells you not to do. Come live in the lies of our culture so that our world will be a better place so we can finally make this country and this world what it ought to be. And we should reject all of them because all of them are versions of false gospels that center on the individual rather than on the accomplished work of Jesus and his promise to to renew and regenerate everyone who calls upon his name. There are conservative false gospels and there are liberal false gospels. There are Republican false gospels, there are Democratic false gospels, there are socialist false gospels, and every communist gospel is a false gospel. That there are all, all these sort of versions of false gospels that they, at the end of the day, that they're promising salvation, deliverance, renewal, restoration, are based upon something other than Jesus. So if there's someone or something that comes to you and says, you can be whole, you can be right, and you can make the world a better place, if their message is not the gospel of Jesus Christ, then ding, 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 we have a winner. Fear is a false gospel. It is promising outcomes that are only from Jesus Christ. Okay. And so, very subtly, the John, John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples are, are coming to Jesus saying, We all fast. Look at how religious we are. Look at all that we're accomplishing. Look how stringent and and self-denying we are. Why aren't your disciples doing the same? Why are they eating? We just came off this really fantastic passage where Jesus sits down with all the tax collectors and sinners. And he says, I'm... I haven't come for those who are healthy, but for those who are sick. Why are they eating? Why are they feasting? Why are they rejoicing? That there's something about the kingdom of God. When the kingdom of God meets this world, that those who are part of the kingdom are meant to rejoice. To be marked by laughter, gladness, joy. 
We talk a lot about, right, following Jesus. He, he says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. But when you deny yourself and you take up your cross and you follow Jesus, it's not simply to be self-denying. It is to find greater joy, greater purpose, greater life. That we're people made to feast and to rejoice. You're thinking, I don't believe you. Christianity is about Reject, you know, don't do these things and do these things. Be somber, have your head down, be serious all the time. Maybe be a little sad or sometimes that shows up as being kind of mean. And somehow we we run up against passages like this, which is very subtle, or overt passages like the Apostle Paul in Philippians. Rejoice again, I say, rejoice, commands from the Holy Scriptures. We heard it in the psalm over and over and over and over again. Be glad. Be glad. Blessed is the what blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus has his whole litany of the beatitudes of blessedness. In one way that doesn't quite nothing quite captures that word, but some sort of more more uh, dynamic translations will say, "How happy is the person." How happy are the poor in spirit and those who mourn. And so we have to hold these things in tension. That we're not yet home, but we're a people with good news. Not only is there good news on our lips, but if we're Jesus' people, there's good news in our hearts. Our sins are forgiven. The shame and the guilt and the bondage is behind me and freedom awaits in Christ. Why aren't they fasting? And Jesus says the attendants of the bridegroom can't fast while the groom is with them. Right? The attendants of the bridegroom, they were the ones who were supposed to make the wedding party happen. What kind of sense would that make while the groom is there for them to say, no, this is a very serious business? Could you imagine? I remember my wedding day. And if all my guys had been like, we gotta, you got to calm down. This is serious. I'm like, dude, I'm well aware how serious this is. But this is a time to rejoice. Because the groom is there because the groom has come for his bride. The groom has come for his bride and they are going to be united. And that is beautiful. It ought to be celebrated and rejoiced in. And so Jesus is described as the groom. Who is the bride? The church. Jesus, the Lord, has come incarnate and He's come to save His people from their sins. And He's gathering up a people that are described as His bride. What business have we to tamp down on the celebration of the groom when He has come for His bride and He has accomplished the work to redeem her from her sins? But verse 20 has this foreshadowing. A note. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in that day. What is this alluding to? The cross. Where Jesus, the Son of God, will be pinned upon a Roman execution implement. Humiliated before masses. 
And yet it is there that he says, my glory is displayed. And it is there, the Apostle Paul says, that he demonstrates his love for us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There is the love of the groom for his bride seen. And and as a side note, that's supposed to be embodied in our marriages, guys. You'll be taken away and then they will fast. But notice the difference between the fasting of the disciples when Jesus dies, when Jesus departs from them, and the fasting of John's disciples and the Pharisees. The the fasting of the disciples rests upon Jesus. It's It's a hungering and a thirsting for the presence of Christ. Christ it's, it's, a, it's their longing for the groom. It's, a, it's an evidence of the bride longing for the groom. The Pharisees and John's disciples here are fasting as a self-centered deliverance. It's a whole different set of meaning. And so what we have here coming into 21 and 22 is that you have these two rubrics up and running, two templates of salvation. There's one, the accomplishing work of the groom on behalf of his bride. And then you have the the crusty, calcified tradition that says you must save yourself. And you must save yourself. It shows up in religious settings. It shows up in non-religious settings. It shows up in churches. And it shows up in government buildings. This is the natural state of lost people. Is that they believe that they have to do something to deliver themselves and to renew the world around them. And the gospel says, you don't have what it takes, guy. Girl. Man. Woman. We need what Christ offers. And the only reason we might be good for this world after Christ does something in us is because Christ is in us. The only reason we can bring hope and be be the light of the world is because Christ is with us. We bring the presence of Jesus and the work of God. So we have these two sets. And then Jesus enters into these very enigmatic, hard to understand little mini parables. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from from it. The new from the old and a worse tear results. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is lost and the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. I don't know about you guys, but that speaks to my day in and day out existence. I'm always putting wine in wineskins. And it's a joke, okay? Everybody, the Baptist preacher said, that preacher Blaney. Can you believe what the people are already talking about me? Oh. And then I'm always mending garments, you know? If something gets a hole in it, I'm like, it's, it's all lost. It's a, there's no chance. Um, but there is a fundamental incompatibility that these things don't fit. The old and the new, they, they don't reconcile. And sometimes this has been used about, you know, old traditions in the church and that the church needs to do new things. And that's not really what's happening here. But that there's a fundamental discontinuity there, there, that the old way, this, this, this 
calcified traditionalism of self-salvation as it shows up in the human race is incompatible with the kingdom of Jesus. This idea that you deliver yourself and you're going to renew the world and all of the various movements of that, right? We could talk, we could kind of parse that out and I think would be really fruitful. But we, we don't have the time. But all the ways that we say we're going to deliver ourselves, we're going to deliver our minds, we're going to deliver our bodies, we're going to deliver our souls, right? If you, if you simply run enough, take enough fish oil, and then meditate, you've covered it, right? Your brain's doing well. You know, you do one of those like online brain game things. You do Sudoku every day. You're pre- trying to prevent Alzheimer's and dementia. Not to make light of those things, but we, we, we say we can deliver ourselves from that outcome. We can deliver our bodies from disease if I'm just healthy enough and I, and I eat, you know, and how many diets are out there? If I eat all green stuff. And then there's this other diet saying that all, all the green stuff's toxic for you. You just need to eat red meat all the time. And then you have this other one that says, no, you need to eat like people in another part of the world. No, you need to eat like this. And if you need to eat less and you need to eat more, you need to drink this and you need to drink that. Self-salvation. No, you have too many wrinkles on your face. You're getting older. Here's some cream. You're going to be better. You're going to deliver yourself from the, from the hideousness of old age. Well, I've got a news for you, okay? One, uh, well, funny story. I'm not, I'm not out of time, but it's a funny story, okay? Uh, we do stockings in my family, right? Like, and they're not stockings. They're like huge bags of just stuff that my parents put together traditionally. And one year, uh, not too long ago, uh, sh- what showed up in my stocking was wrinkle cream. <laughs> And I looked at my mom and I said, what is this? I'm like 36 years old. I don't need stinking wrinkle cream. And we, she meant well, you know. She did it though. She did it to my sister too and I loved it. Anyways. Oh. But that we say we can somehow deliver ourselves from the, and you notice that there's a, there's a promised effect. But dear one, the only one that's going to make your body new is Jesus when he resurrects us from the dead or he calls us home and we're changed when we're called up into the air with him. The only one who's going to deliver my mind and my body from disease is Jesus when his kingdom fully comes. The one, only one who's going to deliver me from sin and finally death is Jesus. And there's a false gospel that says, here, if you do all of these things, I'm not saying you shouldn't take care of yourself. I'm not saying you shouldn't pick a way of eating that makes you that's healthy and your doctor recommends or whatever, whatever jazz you want to follow. Um, that we should be good stewards of what God has given us, but we shouldn't be under the illusion that we're going to somehow rescue ourselves. Right. So anyways, um, and, 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 and the sort of the corporate renewal of movements, that's another subject. But that kind of stuff done in the wrong spirit. Again, I'm not knocking wrinkle cream. Um, I did not use it. Pride said, no, I've got a, wrinkles are coming. It's just the way it is. My hair is thinning. It's just the way it is. Um, some of y'all have gone that way and you are, you're forerunners for me. I'm very appreciative of that. But if we pursue those things in a spirit that I don't actually need what God is doing in Jesus and what God has done, is doing and will do, then I'm, I'm subtly following false gospel, and it's a subtle form of idolatry. 
And that stuff is fundamentally, it fundamentally does not line up with what Jesus is doing in the kingdom. And if you try to match the gospel of the free grace of God and Jesus with our self efforts of self salvation and of self renewal of the world around us, it is going to create a worse tear. That there's going to create separation. That you have to say, I am saved by grace alone, through Christ alone, through faith alone, to God only be the glory. Or I'm going to follow the pattern of this world and try to rescue myself. And I'm going to try to make it a better place by my own efforts. The two don't match. Another way of saying this is that Jesus plus something equals false gospel. If you have to add something to what Jesus has done to accomplish your deliverance and to accomplish your salvation, then it is a false gospel. And notice that the thing that is moving here is the new thing. The new, the patch of unshrunk cloth, meaning that's a newer piece of cloth, is moving. It's alive in a sense. And the the imagery is more stark in the imagery of the wineskins, right? The wineskin would be literally a, usually skins that are fashioned that would hold liquid. And old wineskins would be used to old wine. And old wine is done fermenting. And so the skins could grow dry and brittle, particularly if they hadn't been used. But new skins were made with elasticity, that they were made to contain this living, if you will, which it actually is, a living thing in the fermenting new wine, that the kingdom of God is a living thing in our lives. Jesus' work in our lives is a living thing, that we are people growing and being made and conformed into the image of Jesus, and we are supposed to. We are supposed to work to make our communities a place where every man, woman, and child hears the gospel of Jesus. We are to labor for justice in our context for the unborn and the born and the almost dead. We are to care about the body and the soul because Jesus came in body. We are to care about those things, but our care and our work for renewal in our communities has to be centered in the renewal and the regeneration that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you see the difference? Because sometimes it looks like you could be doing the same thing, but you're doing the same thing with different motivations for different gods. So we labor for Christ's sake in our homes and in our community and in our church to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do that here in our church. Do that here in my heart. Do that in my home and in our community. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and you're going to leave more wreckage, a bigger hole, a worse state of affairs than you did before. And if you don't believe me, just go, go, and I don't mean this condescendingly, go read a world history book. And you can see all of the stories where where various individuals and various movements and ideologies that promised something. They promised a better world and they promised that things were going to be better. If if they just finished their program, 
You can look at the Roman Empire and the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome, or Alexander the Great before that. You can look at the movements of godless communism and, and the bloodshed after that. Just fill in the blank where there's a promised renewal absent of Christ. It is a building of the Tower of Babel saying we're going to accomplish something God-free. And there's always greater wreckage in the wake. And if that's true in the course of history, that's true in your life as well. That you will leave a greater wreckage in your personal life and in your home and in your community and in your church, believe it or not. You will leave wreckage behind you if you enter into it saying, I've got to save myself and I've got to renew things by my own effort. I'm very, we're late in the game and I'm about to get on a soapbox, so I've got to stop. But that stuff ruins churches. Where people, they, they think they know, but they're doing it absent of the gospel of Jesus. And so they rely on church politics. They rely on personal power. They rely on duplicity and other techniques. And I'm not saying that this is happening at Blaney, but it has. I know it has. We always have to be vigilant. And it leaves wreckage. It, it's left wreckage in my seven years here that we've had to... Put, start by God's grace, knit up some, some holes in the garment. It'll leave wreckage in your home. And all of this, all, where I'm going is to say, you need to surrender to Christ and his program and his kingdom for your life. If you, if you don't want to make a wreckage of things, which I, when I think about my family, I desperately don't. When I think about the, what God has entrusted to me, even this morning, I thought about it, how unworthy I am to do this. If you don't want to make a wreckage, you have to say, you have to surrender. I'm going to stop trying to save myself. I'm going to stop trying to say I've done these things well and I haven't done these things. Or that if, if, if these things would just happen in the world. And if, that, if those, th- those things don't re- involve the preaching of the gospel and people believing upon Jesus and people's hearts made new by the power of the spirit, then that program ain't going to work. You could say in 2024, if we just elect this guy, the economy will quit stinking, gas prices will go down, yada, 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 and we've just fallen for it again. Now, you can care about that and be planted in Jesus Christ. So surrender your life to Christ's, when I say program, I mean his lordship, his kingdom for all of your life. Submit your life as a individual as a man or a woman made in the image of God saying turn to Christ in faith and say Lord I trust you I want to follow you and I'll stop trying to to build this house of cards on my own efforts knowing it's going to fall surrender your home life as a husband or a wife or a grandmother or a grandfather or uncle or whatever your, your home life whoever's around you most intimately saying I want I want Jesus to be king of this and extend it on out to your, your friendships, to your neighborhood, to your church, to your political involvement. Say, Jesus, you need to be Lord of all these things. Because if I try to mingle, if I try to mingle what I want with what you want, I'm going to make a mess. So would you help me submit to your will? Would you help me trust you? Would you help me follow you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your power, for your spirit. Would you give us grace, O Lord, to 
to forsake our way, to forsake ourselves, to forsake any, any vision of our activity, whether it be religious or spiritual or civic or familial, would you help us to forsake any vision of that where you are not the center, where you are not our motivation and our goal? Would you help us to abandon any notion of renewal or of restoration in our country or our community that is absent of you? And Lord, I, I guess I'm praying that you would renew us. That you would awaken us. That you would bring true revival. And we acknowledge, I acknowledge, that it seems like a preposterous ask when we look at the status of our world and our country. But Lord, it is just at such moments when we ask for what seems preposterous but is obedient to your word that when you act, and you will, that when you act, we know it is you and it is all of grace for your glory. So Lord, would you make us new? Give us grace to abandon any ways that we are following the false gods of this world, trying to rescue ourselves or trying to renew our communities by any other power but the power of the gospel and the power of the lordship of Jesus. And would you now, Holy Spirit, yield in us by your power surrendered hearts, surrendered wills. And for some, that may mean that they trust you for the first time, that they abandon trying to save themselves and say that only Jesus saves would you honor that move in their heart, O oh Lord, and rescue them, draw them to yourself, that they might have new life today. But again, we ask as we begin that you would accomplish your will through your word today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.